Well, if you can guess, I'm a little excited. Um, and it's, it's, I remember Pastor Sam, many of you are, are newer and don't, don't remember him. But those of you that do, one of his expressions that he would have is, because there's just so many strange teachings out there and people chasing after this and wanting after this and this is on TV and they're you know, sending me emails. Have you seen this, Pastor? And have you seen that? And I, I don't look at most of that stuff. Don't be offended. I just have my eyes on Jesus. And what he used to say is, he says, isn't Jesus enough? Have you gotten bored with him? So bored with him, you've got to look at other things to satisfy. I don't know about you. He satisfies. He, 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 he more than satisfies me. And if you're bored, then you don't really, you've lost touch with him. If you're, if you're looking, if you're distracted by other things and chasing after other things to satisfy you, then you need to come back and really face that somewhere you've wandered away. I don't mean you're not saved, but you've wandered away from your relationship with Him. Because it's all what it's about is a relationship with Him. It's not a cause. It's not a movement. It's not a church. It's a relationship with Him, a personal, living, vital relationship. And as with any relationship, there's moments where you're closer than in others. But there ought to be some contact that begins to, that keeps you drawn. I don't, I don't go looking at other women because I'm satisfied with that, with that woman. And, and when I say satisfied, because it's a new adventure every day. I mean that. It's the most exciting, next to Jesus. And the women met 45 years last July, and I was raised that, you know, the longer you got together, it's like, well, you know, we've been, I'm telling you, I'm more excited about her now than I was when I first met her and fell in love with her. And so it's a growing thing. But, but see, but then again, we spend time and we communicate with each other. We, we work at it. We have special times and we, we communicate and sometimes communication means I got to shut up and listen. And that's not always the easiest thing for me to do. And, 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 and that, there are times, you know, what she'll want of me, I may not want to do. And so there's always this adjusting to each other. But that's what brings the closeness. And we've got to learn to spend that time with Him. So if you're feeling a distance, you most likely you're not spending the quality time with Him. And so we need to come back to that place. Praise the Lord. Well, that's message number two. We're going to get, continue in our story on hope. To, well, let me pray. We haven't prayed yet. Father, we thank you tonight for your presence here, for your drawing by your Spirit. We just want to satisfy you, Father, and your longing for us. And whether we realize it or not, down inside, we have a longing for you. For you made us to need you. We're not designed or built in order to function on our own, but we're made and designed to function in relationship with you. So tonight, Father, draw us closer to you again. Father, tonight, open our eyes of our understanding that we might see the hope of your calling for our life that's in Christ Jesus. And for that, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, someone gave me, I, I, I think I know who it was, um, this bookmark which has Psalm 42.11 on it in the New Living Translation, says, I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. 
What's on the back that me touched me so much is here's a very brief statement by Billy Graham. Perhaps the greatest psychological, spiritual, and medical need, and listen to that, the greatest psychological, spiritual, and medical need that all people have is the need for hope. I don't think people can live without hope. What oxygen is to the lungs, hope is to our, survi- is to our survival in this world. And the Bible is filled with hope. Praise God. Well, we've been talking about hope, that hope is the neglected of the three sisters. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 ends by saying that all, after talking about the gifts of the Spirit and then the attributes of God, that the greatest of these, the, 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 after all those things are going to pass away, and they're going to pass away when Christ comes back. But they're going to pass away, but there's three that will remain. Why? Because they're eternal. Faith, hope, and love. It goes on to say, and the greatest of these is love. That's because that's, God is love. It's His nature. And we hear a lot about faith. That's part of the name of this church. We hear a lot about love, and we need to hear more about love. But one of those three we don't hear a lot about is hope. And I think it's because we've had an attitude, well, I don't really see how hope's that. Yeah, we've got to have hope. I know we do, but I don't see that it's vital. And yet out of all those attributes, that's listed up there with faith and with love. So we began to look several weeks ago at why it's so important. And we saw, first of all, in Hebrews chapter 6, that it's the anchor, it provides an anchor for our souls so we don't drift all over the place with our emotions and the circumstances of life. It keeps us steady. And we'll see some more as we go on a little bit. Then we began to, 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 to look at a second principle, which we've looked at, and we could spend a long time on either one, any, either one of these. And that is in Hebrews 11.1, 1, which says that faith is the substance of things, gives substance to the things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And what we've discovered is that although while we're trying to d- develop our faith, it's like, it's like getting a brand new powerful furnace in your basement, but without hope, because faith gives substance to things hoped for. So unless we have a hope, faith has nothing to give substance to. So hope is like a blueprint. It's like an architect's rendering to, of an ideal of what this thing is that is going to look like in the end, and that's what your hope begins to move the force of God to provide. But if there's no blueprint, if there's no picture, if there's no, if there's no schematic drawing, then there's nothing that that architect or that contractor, they got all the equipment and all the energy and all the resources available, but they don't have any, they don't know what to do with it because you haven't told them what it is you want. We saw that hope is always future-oriented. And we began to look at what hope is. And we've seen that, that hope, first of all, hope is not, we looked at what it is not. Because in, in, in the, our English vernacular, most of us, and this is why we don't think hope is quite so important, is usually what we mean by hope is wishing for something. Well, I hope it's going to happen. So if somebody comes to me and says, you know, you know, you come to somebody and says, you know, are you going to have a better year this year? I hope so. But there's not a lot of confidence in that. They're just wishing, well, I'm, 
I wish, it, I wish it's better than this than 2012. But that's not what the Bible word hope means. I read to you uh, Vine's definition of it, which essentially means a steadfast, confident expectation. Listen to that. Steadfast, confident expectation of a good result. So it's a positive, strong, it's an expecting something to happen. And something good, kind of like Oral Roberts used to say, something good's going to happen to you today. That builds hope. But hope has to be a little clearer than something good's going to happen to you. Because that's like saying, we're going to build some kind of building here. No, you need something a little more specific than that. But the first thing to see about what it is, is it is, it is a confident, sure, steadfast expectation of a positive result. Then we began to look at, but it's not something that we can see with our eyes. Because we saw in Romans chapter 8 that, that if it's something that you can see, then it's not, no longer hope. Hope is for the unseen with these eyes. And we went through and looked at some examples of, of Old Testament stories of where God would cre- to create hope in somebody. Like Abraham. He took him out and said, look or see the stars. Well, Abraham saw those with his natural eyes, but God was trying to get him to see with these internal eyes an expanded idea of, of the generations that God wanted to bring forth through him, his dried up body, her dried up body, and barren womb. Through a hopeless situation, oh, through a hopeless situation, God wanted him to create hope. And he created hope by seeing something that you can't see with these natural eyes. We looked at Gideon and standing at the walls of Jericho, looking at a hopeless situation. How in the world are we ever going to over- get through these walls that are so wide that six chariots can race side by side on them? But an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, See, I have given you this, the city. See with these eyes? No. See with an internal eye, with an inner size. And then we begin to get into those inner eyes is really your imagination. So another definition of hope that I've heard, and this isn't mine, I've, this I got some from someone else, is a positive imagination. A po- now that doesn't sound too spiritual, does it? Now it sounds like, well, Pastor, now, now we're getting into the motivation stuff. You're going to become like a motivational speaker? Well, I'm going to motivate you, but you'll see the difference. Because God's a motivator. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. So it's another way of looking at a a practical way. See, I want to bring it down to something that we can go home with tonight. That when you get up with tomorrow, you can apply at work, you can apply in your family, you can apply in your prayer life. It is a positive imagination. Now, all of you have an imagination and exercise it all the time. Some of you may be more imaginative than others. You're, you're a daydreamer. 
And you're, you know, you're always picturing, we could do this, and I could do that, I could look at this, we could do that. You know, you come into a place, yeah, I, there are people that are just gifted that way. They're imaginative. But just because you may not be imaginative does not mean you don't have an imagination. Because when I first heard this, my reaction was, well, I'm not very imaginative. Well, I, well, my first reaction, well, I don't have much of an imagination. And as I began to think about it, I realized I have to. We all have an imagination because we function by imagination. Otherwise, you'd still be home. You wouldn't be here tonight. You had to picture how to get here tonight. You had a vision for getting here tonight. Now, you may not have thought it all through because you've done it so many times, but you had an image inside of you of getting here tonight. There are others who had an image inside of them of staying home tonight. <laughs> now, I remember when I used to practice law an hour away, get out of court, get in my car, and I had an hour to work on my imagination. <laughs> and that's when the habit of coming to church overtakes your imagination. It's a, build, it's a stronghold. Well, that's a good way to look at it. It's a stronghold. All right. So uh, let, me, let, me, let me show you what an imagination is, is being able to picture something inside of you that your natural eyes can't see. Isn't that what we're talking about? That's what hope is. It's the ability to picture something inside of you that your mind, that your physical eyes, your physical senses cannot see yet or detect yet. And, 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 and hope is one that's positive. The reason I know you all know how to do this well is because you've all learned how to do it in the negative. It's called worry. Worry is using your imagination to picture things with a bad result. You hear a rumor that your company's going to lay some people off early next year. That's all you know. You don't even know if it's true. And in your mind, you begin to roll it around. You begin to remember stories of other people and things that have happened. And your mind begins to construct images of what's going to happen to you. You can almost picture getting that notice that you've been laid off. Now your mind runs ahead and pictures what it's going to be like to either be on unemployment or to not have an income. And you can get to the point where you've got yourself with all your precious belongings sitting on the side of the street while they complete the foreclosure sale of your house and you haven't left your office after having heard the rumor. But your mind has pictured it so vividly that it's beginning to create an emotional reaction in you. Well, you've, I've mentioned this before, probably will again. I'm sure you've all had the experience of waking up from a dream and your heart's pounding, you're perspiring, and you never went anywhere. You just turned over because you had images in your mind called dreams. And they were so clear and vivid to you. You may not be able to remember when you wake up, but they were so clear and vivid to you that your physical body was reacting as if you were actually going down that roller coaster 400 feet at, you know, 100 miles an hour or falling off a cliff, or whatever it is. Why? That's the power of images in our mind. 
Satan understands that. So he's working all the time to plant the pieces of pictures in your mind. And without understanding this process, what happens is we begin to cooperate with him and we let him form these pictures in our mind that are literally uh, negative imaginations. And the result is we start worrying. Well, all hope is the reverse of that. It's using your imagination to picture things, positive results, that will begin to have an effect and force. Then you've got something to add your faith to. So that's what we mean by hope. That's what the Bible means by hope. What I want to talk about tonight, really get into tonight, or begin to get into tonight, is um, what's important then is what is this hope based on? All right. Negative story we just talked about. You get a, you hear from somebody at the, in the coffee break room, I just heard that they're going to lay off a thousand people or whatever, you know, they're going to lay off 10% of the workforce early next year. That's all you've heard. Or you get a, I've told you the story a long time ago of, of, you know, having my physical on a Friday or Thursday. I come home from work on Saturday, Friday night and I turn on the answering machine and it's my doctor's office and said, we need you to come, we need you to call the office Monday morning. By Monday morning, now I've learned not to do this anymore, but by Monday morning, I had myself in a hospital bed with tubes coming out of me and, 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 you know, on, on my, on my you know, deathbed. And, and, and I didn't know anything other than, please call us Monday morning. But I'd let my mind run and form all these pictures and draw us together. And there, it was I had a terrible weekend. I didn't know anything. And so I've had to learn to not allow that to happen. So the question is, it, so in that case, that worrying is based on nothing. Or the worrying about losing my jobs based on nothing that's substantial. You need to ask yourself then, whatever your, what is your hope based on? And that's what we're going to begin to talk about tonight. What are you hoping in? Where, in other words, where does this positive image come from? It's got to be based on something that is real. If it's not based on something that's real, then it's just positive thinking. There was a whole, and it's not new, it's probably out there today. But when I was growing up, there was a whole trend of, of you know, being, learning to be a positive thinker. And there were people on TV teaching you how to be positive thinker. They wrote books about being positive thinkers. The problem with just doing, just having hope based on positive thoughts is there's nothing substantial underneath the thoughts. Well, before I was saved and I was struggling to find some meaning for my life, I got a hold of a book. It was popular back then and they actually kind of formed little groups around it and I'm sure some of you will recognize this. The book was entitled, I'm Okay, You're Okay. And I read the book and came to the conclusion that really was like the story of the emperor's clothes. Remember, you know the story of the emperor's clothes? The emperor wasn't wearing clothes. But 
everybody was afraid to tell him or, or admit it to anybody else because he's the emperor. So no one, nobody wanted to acknowledge that the emperor wasn't wearing clothes because they didn't want to be treasonous or disrespectful out of fear of what was going to happen. So the whole, the whole kingdom agreed that the emperor was wearing clothes when they all knew he wasn't. It just took one kid who didn't know that that was the rule everybody was going by and he broke and said, well, you know, I've forgotten those stories, it's been a long time ago. So when I finished reading this book, I came to the conclusion that the basic thesis of the book is, look, let's just get together and we'll pretend you're okay and we'll pretend I'm okay. The problem is, I wasn't okay and you're not okay. But we're just going to get together and pretend that the not okay isn't there and that we really are okay. And that works to a measure, but the problem is there's nothing underneath it to give hope to. There's no reality to that hope. And so the problem with just positive thinking is just because I decide good things are going to happen doesn't mean they are. Because it's not based on something that's real. Remember what hope is. Hope is a confident assurance of something I can't see, but just because I can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. In fact, what we learned last time is the reason I can't see it is it's still in the spirit realm up there, and it's not in this realm yet, but that realm's more real than this realm because it's there. It does exist. I just can't see it here yet. Positive thinking has no there to rely on. It's just I make it up in my mind. And underneath, there cannot really be confidence because we know underneath we're kidding ourselves. See, the one person you really can't lie to is you. Oh, you can deceive yourself to all kinds of levels, but somewhere down underneath, when you're not being honest with yourself, there will not be peace. So if you're struggling with peace tonight, way down inside, one place to look is, am I really being honest with myself? And the next one, of course, is to be honest with God. Now, God already knows, so you're not fooling Him. And I have found that the foundation for my relationship with Him, experiencing my relationship, the foundation for answered prayer has got to begin with being honest with myself and then honest before God about myself. He can handle it. I'm the difficult issue. But that's the beginning of freedom. And the reason that's so is because God is truth. And He only deals in truth. And so if you want God involved in whatever you're doing, whether it's answering your prayer, helping you in a situation, it has to be based on truth because God only deals in truth because He is truth. This is why we have to confess our sins. Because what confession literally is, is accepting ownership. I broke the window. I did it. That's accepting ownership ownership. God can come to that place and forgive us when we are honest about what we did. 
But if I try to avoid being honest about it by saying, you did it. Or God is the woman you gave me. If I try to avoid facing the truth about what I've done, God can't come into that situation and release me and free me because he will not participate in my games and deceptions to avoid the responsibility because he only deals in truth. So truth is not our enemy. Truth is not something to be afraid of. Truth is our friend because truth is what opens the channel to God. And He is our answer. He is our deliverance. He is our freedom. He is what can release us. No matter what you've done, it starts with truth. So therefore, hope, true hope, that's going to last and going to work has to be based on something that has to be founded in a reality or in a truth. So just deciding I want things to be better and start thinking positive thoughts, it may make you feel better at, on the surface, but it will not bring a confidence down inside because somewhere down inside, you don't know for sure that's going to happen. Therefore, your faith cannot hook in with it. And this is why a lot of people are struggling in their faith. They've got something they want done or they want to see done. They haven't bothered to find out what God wants in that situation. So what we're trying to do is, to, this is what I want. God, I want you to straighten that person out. And God's trying to say, I want to talk to you. See, one of the reasons, I'm just on all kinds of sidetracks tonight. One of the reasons we focus so much on some of the issues in other people is so we don't have to look. Come on. That's right. Now, this I'm going to share with you. I've shared with you before, but it's been a while, so we can stand hearing it again. I learned a long time ago that usually, I won't say always, but usually when I find myself getting upset at something in somebody else, I mean beyond look, that's wrong, you need to get it right. But when I get emotionally, up, you know, really ticked off about something, usually it's because it's something that I'm doing. You know the story Jesus told about, you know, why are you trying to take a splinter out of your brother's eye when there's a beam in your eye? You know, a splinter and a beam are both made out of the same material, wood. Why do you think you can see the splinter because you're looking at his eye through other wood. That's why you're so sensitive to that fault in that other person, because it's exposing the same thing in you. I discovered that because I realized there were some situations where people would do something that wouldn't bother me at all. I mean, I, I know it's wrong; they may need to correct it, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, you know, want to tear their head off or, you know, get on their case about something. I, see, because if you just decide you want to be wrong. That's okay. I'll let you be wrong. I mean, I was a pastor. I may say something to you, but I'm not going to get bent out of shape because you decide to go, you know, stick your finger in a light socket or something. If that's what you want to do, I'll care, but I mean, I'm not going to get, what kind of idiot are you? I mean, understand what I'm saying? But if I really get upset about something that you decided to do on your own, most likely it's because it's exposing something in me I don't want to look at. Or you're getting away with something and that really gets me mad. 
That's because almost always there's that same issue in me somewhere. How do we get off on this issue? This is terrible. We better come back from this. This is not comfortable ground. Oh, truth. That's what it is. Truth. That hope has got to be based on something that actually is there. So what we try to do is get God. I remember now. We try to get God. We have our project. And usually it's somebody we want Him to work on. God, get that person at work straight because they make my life miserable here. God may have put them in your life for a reason. Ooh, I never thought of that. Because God may want to expose some things in you. And while you're trying to get God to change them, God's trying to get you to look at you. And so, so we do that, and we're trying to get God, you know, and we wonder why God's not answering. Because we haven't asked Him what He wants. Say, Pastor, this sounds a lot like that old teaching, you know, that Father, you know, you know, your will, you know, if it be according to your will. Well, when it comes to promises God's made in here, we can stand on those promises. But when it comes to praying for God to straighten somebody else out, we need to make sure that our motives are His motives. Because what do you want in this situation, God? And when you find out what He wants, now you have a reality that you can begin to have a positive expectation for because you know it's what God wants. The confidence that I have of what I shared with you earlier tonight about what God wants to do here. The confidence I have going into 2013. The confidence that I have that no matter what happens here, this church is going to grow and prosper. The confidence I have is what my heart is set on is what does He want. And the vision that's getting formed in me and the hope that's connected to that is because I know it's what He wants I'm seeking after. And that's where my confidence comes from. Because He is going to answer that. He'll climb over people, climb over situations. He'll move devils out of the way. He'll move mountains out of the way to answer that heart cry. I want to do what's pleasing in your sight. Show me, teach me. And that's an example of what I'm talking about. So, otherwise, if, we don't, if it's not based on something that's real, then it's simply positive thinking. Now, the problem with positive thinking is the only place that image exists is between your left ear and your right ear. It, it's, it's just like your dream at night. I've had some dreams I woke up from, and I'm glad the only place it existed was in my mind. I've had others I woke up and I wished they were reality. But wishing either way didn't change it. So pause when it's not based on something that's real, that God wants, that God has made available to us in the spirit realm, it is simply, it can be Christian positive thinking. And there are people out there making positive confessions. They're taking principles that we've learned and they're trying to operate the principle to get what they want. And it's nothing more than Christian wishing or Christian positive thinking. It's not hope. And so it's not substantial. It's not, it's not steadfast. It's not, it's not confident. Because the confidence comes because you know it's what he's provided. That's where the confidence comes. The confidence doesn't come because we work it up and say it over and over again. The confidence comes because you know it's what God sees for you. It's what God wants. 
the old days, well, old days, in other generations, they used to spend time doing this thing that would be strange in churches, but I believe it's coming back. It's called seeking God. See, the problem with that is it takes time. I'm talking to me just as much as you. We want to come at 6 and leave at 7 on Tuesday, and then the rest of the week I can do what I want to do, and then, but seeking God means I come and just seek Him with my heart. I'm just open. What do you want? Show me. Teach me. Here I am, God. Just pour our heart out for, before Him and allow Him to pour His heart out into us. And we're going to have to come, and I believe God's calling us and preparing us for those times, because by the time those times come, we'll desire to do that. But, but, but it's that seeking Him, seeking what He wants. Okay. So positive thinking, the problem with that is it only exists in our mind. Now, so when it comes for hope for the things that you want, you just need to find out what God wants for you. Well, there's some obvious things. So for instance, if you've got a situation where you have a child or a grandchild or a relative that's strayed away from God or they've never been saved, we know that God wants them saved. So begin to ask the Holy Spirit to give you a positive imagination of seeing that person saved, what they'd be like. Begin to get a picture of them in your mind. Begin to meditate on that. Because what most of us are doing is we're looking at where that person is now. We have an image of where that person is now and we're asking God to change them. So we have no hope out there. We're trying to exercise our faith without having hope for that faith to add substance to. This is why hope is so important. So for relatives that, that are unsaved or are backslidden, you need to begin to create a positive imagination and the Holy Spirit's in you to do that. This is His field, His area. It's in the, it's in the spiritual imagination. And for whatever it is, see yourself healed. Begin to see yourself well. See yourself walking. See yourself able to do what it is your body tells you you can't do right now. Begin to see yourself that way. Exercise your imagination. And you all know how to do it. You've done it for worrying. Just take what you've done when you worry and reverse it. That's all. All right. We'll talk more about that as we get into uh, next year because I'm going to use Wednesday nights for a while to teach the old School of Ministry course on renewing your mind because it fits in with this and it fits in with what we're doing Sunday mornings right now. And it's very practical. Okay. Um, all right. Let me, let's get into now. Okay. All right. We, we now understand that, our, that, that to be real hope, it has to be based on something that's true, that really does exist. I just can't see it now. Then what is, what is the hope that the Bible talks about so much? Well, let's go to Romans 15. Nope. 
I'm sorry. I think it's 1 Corinthians 15. Yes. I had my Bible open there. My notes were wrong. Paul's talking here about the resurrection from the dead. And these are verses that are often quoted at funerals, at least at the gravesite, or at funerals. And we, we, we say these words. In fact, many of you know these scriptures we're going to look at, but you've never focused most likely on what we've already talked about, the hope that's in them. He's talking about, well, let's go... Um, <laughs> Let's go to verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised, he's risen from the dead, how do some say to you that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ's not risen. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we're found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead are not, do not rise. For the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Why would my faith be futile? Well, we'll see. And you're still in your sins. Notice it's not just if Christ has not died, if He's not died and has risen. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That means those who have died in Christ have perished. Look at this, verse 19. If in this life we have, in this, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. I want to look at that verse because that is a very significant verse because our theology often is not right about this. Notice what he's saying here. He's not saying if our hope is in the world or the things of the world, then we're to be most pitiful. He said if our hope is in Christ, and we'll look at some scriptures later on, that our hope is in Christ. But if our hope is in Christ, in this life only, then we are of all men to be most pitiable or pitied. So he's saying, if your hope, what we're talking about, your confident expectation of why things are going to be okay, of why you're going to make it, if the basis for your confident expectation is in Christ, in this world only, Now, it would be one thing if he said, if your hope is in this world only, then you are to be pitied. That we could understand as Christians. Because the world is not something to base your hope in. I hope you realize that by now. That's the wishful meaning of hope. But look at what he's saying. I never saw it until right now, the significance of this. 
He's saying, not just if your hope is in the world. If your hope is in Christ, in this world only. So if your hope is in Jesus to get you through tomorrow and the next day, if you're all, remember what hope is, it's a positive picture, image of what's in the future. And if your hope is only in Christ for this immediate world we're in right now, think about what we do. I hope, you know, my trust is in Jesus. My hope is in Jesus to get through. Oh, Jesus, get me through this. Oh, Jesus, get me through this. And that's fine, but if that's what your hope is, Paul says, you are of all men to be pitied. Wow. Why? Why? What he's saying is, and we're going to look at some other scriptures. We may not get to there tonight. Because there is a hope in Christ that's beyond this world. There's a hope in Christ that's beyond this world that's only there if he truly was raised from the dead. Because if he's not raised from the dead, then we don't have an entrance into the glory and the life that God has promised us, and we have no hope in that future life with him. Our hope is only here, and therefore, he says, you're to be pitied, even though it's in Christ here. You following that? So the hope that we are to base our confident assurance for whatever it is you're going through, the hope and the assurance we have cannot be in anything of this life. If it can't be in Christ here, it sure can't be in your job. It sure can't be in the government. I mean, that's obvious now. It sure can't be in your, in your, your, your company's health insurance plan. I mean, those are nice to have, but you can't put your hope in it. If we can't put our hope in Jesus in this world only, then we sure can't put our hope in anything else that this world has in it. So this is telling us, and we're going to see a number of scriptures next week. This is telling us that the basis of our hope, what our hope is in, the true foundation for hope in this world, the true foundation of it is not based on anything that's in this life. If it's not in Jesus in this life, it can't be based on anything that this world offers while we're here. See, we've lived in a time when the focus of the church has been on the benefits that we have as Christians here. And that's good. We need to know about those things. Generations before didn't pay attention to the, to the blessings that we had here and the promises of what God would do for us here. All their eyes were on the blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. In the sweet by and by. Their perspective and their eyes and their hope was all on the future, walking in the streets of gold. And so they didn't have the perspective that we have, that God's here in the rotten now, working in our lives, 
But what we've done is we've focused so much on the God's here with us now, we've lost an awareness. We've lost the biblical perspective. We're so focused on what's happening here now, what's going to happen next month, what's going to happen next year. This is why so many Christians are afraid and worried what's going to happen. Well, my goodness, we may fall off the fiscal cliff. But my hope isn't affected by that. God's not going over the cliff. That's not going to affect the streets of gold. That's not going to affect my rewards. That's not going to affect anything that's important or eternal. So if my hope is invested in my 401k or the stuff this world gives us, which is okay, but not to put your hope in it. Because there's no solid basis for you to have a confident expectation in anything that's in this world, good or bad. You following me? We're talking about what you're building your hope on. I'm not saying don't go to work tomorrow. (laughs) But what's your foundation of hope? What are you standing in that you're going to be okay, that things are going to be all right, that you're going to make it? What are you standing on? Are it things that this world offers you? If it's not even Jesus here, I told you, I never saw that in there before until right now. Well, we have to end. We'll pick up here next week. Father. Father, forgive us for not discerning rightly your word. Forgive us, Father, for bringing into our thinking our own understanding of these things. Help us to see clearly what your word has to say. As your word gives us instruction, it gives us light, it gives us understanding. Father, for everything that we are going to face, personally, as a church, as your church, you have made provision for, and you have provided understanding so that as we understand and do the things, things the way you've told us to do it, as we dwell in the secret place of the Most High. You will watch over and protect us and guide us. So give us understanding now, Father, so that we don't panic, we don't invest our hope in our life in things that aren't substantial and solid. Thank you that you continue to be patient with us. You continue to open our eyes see the truth of the hope of your calling for our life if it's in Christ Jesus.